0: Hello, and thank you for downloading today's podcast. You're listening to Powerbombs and Potables on the Podcast Potables Network, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating, and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Process Potables. And for Powerbombs and Potables, follow us on Twitter at PowerbombsPPN. For news, info, and breweries that we've worked with, And so much more, check out ProcessPotables.com. On this week's Powerbombs and Potables, we are in week number three of full quarantined wrestling. WrestleMania is coming up this weekend, and there's so many things that are consistently changing, and news that we're going to get into in this week's episode of Powerbombs and Potables. And welcome to this week's episode of Power Bombs and Potables. My name is Corey Oates and I am your host for this venture. Uh, we have a lot of things going on this week, you know, despite the fact that WrestleMania is just a couple of hours away at this point. Right before WrestleMania Part 1 WrestleMania 36, uh, two-day extravaganza, we're going to go into the week that was uh, with a little bit of wrestling and I got some news and stuff going on uh, in this week. Had a long week myself, so don't mind. We crack that open first, drink the nectar of the world, and I'll get all the hate for this, Drinking some wonderful Miller Lite for the pregame festivities that I have going on during this quarantine tonight. So we're going to dive right into Monday Night Raw, the go-home Raw to WrestleMania 36. The show opens up with the package of AJ Styles and The Undertaker, from uh, leading up to where we're going with this feud. Cuts right to a promo with The Undertaker that appears that it's in a graveyard, and the first thing that I noticed is that The Undertaker is rocking a leather jacket, and he is looking more American badass, big evil, than he has in, at this point, 16 years. Absolutely loved it. And right now, courtesy of WWE.com, we have some of the comments from The Undertaker.
1: You're going to pay the ultimate price for disrespecting her. My wife, Michelle McCool. And you're gonna pay that price in a boneyard. Remember, that was your idea. You wanna be relevant at the showcase of Immortals, WrestleMania. And who better to make that happen than The Undertaker? Try me, I'll make you famous.
0: He would also go on to refer to AJ as Alan Jones, really trying to dig into this whole uh, real-life scenario where, for weeks, AJ has called Undertaker by his real name, Mark Calloway, and it's an interesting process how this has really become a very personal feud. I feel the two feuds uh, that are really going into this uh, weekend's festivities are very personal scenarios. We'll get more into that with The Edge and Randy Orton a little later on in the Raw breakdown, but... He goes more into detail about his how his wife, Michelle McCool, used the exact same finisher as the Styles Clash, uh, called the Faithbreaker, back when she was running around with Lay Cool on the SmackDown brand as the Divas champion in the late uh, 2000s era. And said that AJ is, you know, more, you know, he's just jealous because she does that move better than he does. Thought that was tremendous and went on to say that the Faithbreaker is a better move than the Styles Clash. Okay. I like the edge that he's got on there. And the other thing that I thought was really poking the bear on this one to make it just that much more personal, he went on to name people like Mick Foley, Stone Cold, The Rock, Triple H, and how AJ Styles didn't come from TNA 15 years ago because he knew that he couldn't hang. I thought that was absolutely tremendous that they added that to this scene here with the feud that's going on between. Those two. However, courtesy of WWE.com and The Bump, we have AJ Styles' rebuttal to The Undertaker's remarks.
2: What do I need to do to make sure this guy's at the top of his game? How mad do I need to get him so he'll just be himself for once? I mean, when's the last time we saw the
1: real Undertaker? I'm doing you guys a favor. And and we certainly appreciate that because I felt that real Undertaker on Raw this past Monday. And he said, you were content. This is his quote, being a big fish in a small pond. And then he ran down a list of WWE Hall of Famers. uh, And that said, he said, you waited for them to leave before coming to WWE. And now you're facing him. Does he speak any truth there or does your global resume speak for itself? I
2: mean, come on. It's a, it's
1: a global
2: resume. I didn't stay in one place and, and fought against just, you know, your average shows. I mean, I, I was up against Kurt Angle. I mean, this guy's an Olympic champion. This guy is amazing and, and at his time, I, I mean, come on, Kurt Angle. And just so we're talking, a lot of those guys that, that were in the WWE came to where I was working. And then I went to New Japan and did some stuff over there, I mean, listen. I would have been there earlier if I could have but sometimes things work out the way they do and and uh, you know it's a different time. Guys aren't as big as they used to be meaning guys my size are given a chance where back then they wouldn't even have been given a chance to get into the ring.
0: Which ultimately brings the question to me is who goes over on this. Now I know we talked last week with myself and Dan about how we feel that the Undertaker is going to be the one that goes over In this match, but the way that they're building up is that it almost seems that The Undertaker is kind of morphing his character into something different. And we could be seeing more of The Undertaker at age 55. Raw continued after that with Becky Lynch coming out to the stage to present the first time that she has ever watched back the replay of the three-way women's match in the main event of WrestleMania 35 last year. I can tell you for a fact that by one in the morning when that show was getting over live... Uh, nobody really cared who won that match. Uh, it was a great match and a great moment nonetheless. It wasn't the best women's match I've ever seen, but still uh, monumental and a great match to watch if you haven't actually seen it before. I believe it's going to air this coming Sunday on ESPN in the afternoon starting at 3 o'clock, which would run right up to the start time of WrestleMania at 7 p.m. night 2. The promo ends with Becky Lynch, with being attacked by Shayna Baszler from behind, and she ends up throwing her head first into the side of the announce table two different times, which goes into this coming uh, weekend with how hurt is Becky Lynch actually going to be going into their Raw Women's title match this weekend at WrestleMania. Alistair Black for the second week in a row in a squash match. I'm absolutely loving these squash matches. They've always been a pivotal part of pro wrestling going back from the 70s to the 80s like we went into description last week when I was talking with Dan, that these matches were always meant to get a guy over and to eventually build him up to a main event. So let's see for the third or fourth time now that they've almost tried to patch up and repackage Aleister Black. Let's see if this one works out for him. The Street Profits and Kevin Owens come out against Angel Garza, Austin Theory, and Rollins. They explain that... Uh, Andrade has a rib injury, which I have found out, uh, confirmed, that is actually true as to the reason why he was pulled off of WrestleMania, not for uh, a coronavirus threat, which is what it was originally noted as. Vega went on to say that she signed Austin Theory to her crew, which then brings me to the scary part of the match. Montez Ford does a front flip, clear dives over the top rope and Austin Theory is not even there to catch him for it. He's standing about two feet to the side, and Montez Ford takes a really bad bump to the floor from that one, and, uh, yeah, I I don't know why they even aired that, because that was kind of cringeworthy to watch. Owens immediately hits a stunner and pins Garza after that. Uh, this Sunday, we have the Raw tag team title match with the Street Profits, now against Austin Theory... And Angel Garza. I'm assuming that the Street Profits are going to come out on top of that one. Rollins immediately gets the heat back and hits Owens with the stomp. A match that I think will probably steal the show this weekend between Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. No titles on the line. Just a personal vendetta that has been dating back now for almost six months between these two. Looking forward to it. At this point, it was about 9.45 in the show. And it felt like midnight. I will say that for... The fact that that show felt like it took forever long, and we were only an hour and 45 minutes in. Remember, Raw still three hours, people, every single week, whether they're in an arena or not. We come back from commercial, and Kevin Owens is sitting in the ring, and Kevin Owens had this to say. Because the only thing you said last week that actually makes sense
3: is that when you got to WWE, you were told that nothing you accomplished before you got here matters. Your past no longer matters. And that, that will never be more true than come Saturday at WrestleMania. Because on Saturday, when you and I get into this ring together, your past doesn't matter. My past doesn't matter. The only thing The only thing that matters is that it's you and me, finally, one-on-one. And Seth, this Saturday night, I will show you, you're not a prophet. You're not a Messiah. You are not a God when I beat you in the middle of this ring, and I take my first WrestleMania moment from you.
0: Which brings me to the one positive, I think that we at least have one match confirmed for day one of WrestleMania this weekend with Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins, a match that like I said, I am really looking forward to. We get a great build package for this Edge and Randy Orton feud that is now coming to a head and it will come to a head this uh, Saturday night, I believe as well, unless they have changed the original lineup that came out several weeks ago. There is a backstage promo with Edge, and my God, that was uh, chilling. Courtesy of WW.com, here's Edge's remarks. You attacked my
4: pack. You almost had me believing that maybe the Royal Rumble, maybe that was enough closure for me. But then you put your hands on my wife. You uttered the names of my little girls. and you pulled me back in. You accepted a last man standing match with me,
3: a man
4: who will dive face first into a flaming table with thumbtacks lodged into every part of my body just to grab that torch that you took for granted. You dug yourself another hole, didn't you Randy? This time, I'm not going to pull you back out. I ain't going to push you so
0: far in. You will never get back out. Wow. Words from Edge there. I personally love how personal this feud has become. It's become not only from the moment the Edge returned at the Royal Rumble to the next night having Randy Orton take him out. This has become so intertwined with families, and there's purpose for this match. And I do feel, as discussed on last week's episode, that Randy Orton will win this match so we can see uh, Edge actually get that win in front of a crowd at some point in 2020. The biggest thing that I wanted to speak about on Monday Night Raw, Rhea Ripley appears to be arriving backstage at the Performance Center And in some of the most horrible gorilla fake shooting I've ever seen in my life, the camera that is following her pans left so that Charlotte Flair, who is clearly right next to the camera view, kicks her from the left side right into a garage door and says whatever it is that she says to her because I was so furious by this point, how could anybody actually let this make air? I understand that some people don't like to have to retake things, but that was garbage. But I say that now before NXT aired, and I'll get into that in just a little bit with how some of these pre-tapes have been going quality-wise. I don't care if you're gonna do some backstage angles, but give me the believability. Wrestling's supposed to be an escape. It's supposed to be something that you can sink your teeth into and maybe even relate from time to time. All I'm seeing anymore is just horribly recorded, horribly planned, horribly scripted promos and vignettes on behalf of the WWE. And finally, Monday Night Raw ends with another Brock Lesnar-Paul Heyman promo. I love how they did this for aesthetic The lights were pretty much all turned out. The only thing that you saw was the Brock Lesnar logo on the screen behind them with the way that they were shooting and some red lights, which accompany his video in the arena. With a spotlight just on himself and Paul Heyman, as Brock deadpan looked into the screen for the remainder of the go-home show, Paul Heyman went into great detail about how more go-home Rawls have ended with Brock Lesnar being there, ready to enter the main event of WrestleMania, which he is not wrong. He claims that Brock is going to not only win this Sunday, but next year, and for years to come, will be the one with the championship on the go-home episode of Raw. Once again, knock that out of the park. If there's anything that I recommend that you see from Monday Night Raw, which there wasn't much, Go out of your way to see the full Edge promo as well as that Brock Lesnar Paul Heyman promo from this week. We move on to All Elite Wrestling this week. We kick off the show, uh, and AEW is in a small studio space, which I found out is actually QT Marshall's gym. Uh, it looks almost like uh, like a sound studio that they may have rented, uh, but they were able to keep all the aspects of their normal setup with a, a ring. And the, the screen, the double entrances, uh, to, to give that effect to it. To be honest with you, for those of you that follow wrestling for a long time, the it looked a lot like the flat, cheesy stages that, that the Warzone and the Attitude video games the WWF had by acclaim back in the 1990s, where there were no ramps, but everything was on a flat level, and it was super close to the ring, despite how it actually portrayed on TV normally. So that I kind of found funny. Tony Schiavone, Cody on the call again uh, to start off the show. AEW going back to having some people around the ring, which was nice, uh, because it proved to be a big help with the presentation two weeks ago from the Florida Daily's Place show. But because of the Florida ordinance last week, they weren't able to have more than 10 people total at ringside, so they had to pull that away because you need to count the ring announcers and the referees and the wrestlers in the ring as part of that 10 Dasha Gonzalez, the former Dasha Fuentes from WWE is our ring announcer tonight. They have relieved Brandy of her duty. I'm sure she is thrilled about that. She didn't do much announcing in WWE, but Hey, I thought she did a great job. If you get a chance to go back and watch this week's AEW, the opening match, Trent versus Kenny Omega. This was a fun match. These guys went a little under 20 minutes and uh, nothing really too special. But I thought that these two put a lot of effort into this match. There was a flip outside that took out both of Best Friends and Orange Cassidy at one point. Kenny wins with the one wing and Angel. And I can't complain about this match at all. It was a great way to start off the Dynamite program this week. Not much more I want to still talk about on this show. But one thing that really stuck out to me was they announced that we were going to get the debut tonight of Lance Archer, uh, the murder hawk on AEW. So when they announced his opponent to be Marco Stunt, I couldn't have been more happier. Now I understand that there are some people that absolutely love Marco Stunt because I guess he's somebody living his dream as becoming a wrestler, but I do not like Marco Stunt having to be in there on a regular basis. If you want Marco Stunt to be the jobber that everybody beats every week, but everybody still loves him and gets behind him, that's fine. I'm okay with that presentation. Putting him out there as a viable person, the people like Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega, and even in this situation, Lance Archer would have to sell for, hypothetically, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me at all. This kid is that. He is a kid. I was watching this show with my girlfriend who made the comment, it's like someone decided to bring their child to work that day. That's all you have to say for somebody who has never seen Marco's stunt. There's nothing believable about him. Six foot seven inches of Lance Archer versus Marco's stunt. And it ends with exactly how it should have been. Lance Archer runs all over Marco's stunt. And to end the match, he tosses Marco's stunt from the ring into the first row. Almost a la Bam Bam Bigelow. To little Spike Dudley back in ECW in the 90s. The only difference was is instead of an entire crowd there to catch Marco Stunt and crowd surf him around. Which I'm sure they would have done if that was with a crowd. He gets caught by the best friends at ringside. To me they've started to already build Lance Archer to be a dominant heel. That once he's going to get in the ring with Cody... I think that things are going to be uh, not too well in the end for Cody, and I can easily see Lance Archer being the next AEW champion, somebody to take down Moxley, because out of everybody on that roster, he is the most believable, toughest looking son of a bitch that I've seen in professional wrestling on a mainstream in a very long time. Well, besides Brock Lesnar. AEW also announced this week that they are going to be starting a championship tournament for the new TNT Championship, uh, which will begin next week on AEW Dynamite. On the left side of the bracket, we're looking at Sean Spears versus Cody in the quarterfinal rematch in a match that these two had from back last uh, June where Cody ended up defeating Sean Spears, and Sean Spears has not recovered since. Maybe this is the chance for Sean Spears to actually start to get on a roll again. On the bottom quarterfinal, we see Sammy Guevara versus Darby Allen in a match that I think has a lot of potential to be probably the best match of the quarterfinal round. We'll see Kip Sabian super bad versus the natural Dustin Rhodes and Lance Archer versus Colt Cabana. And that is interesting because they were really able to work that in to this broadcast because Colt Cabana took over for Cody. After the first match, and announce the rest of the show with Tony Schiavone. Next up, we have number eight and nine from Dark Order take on QT Marshall and Dustin Rhodes, the natural nightmares. QT and Dustin get a win really quickly, and Brody Lee comes out and powerbombs number eight and then leaves. So they've also continued Brody Lee with the whole Vince McMahon storyline where he is cutting these pre tape promos. And courtesy of AEW, here's some of Brody Lee's comments in that promo. I would like to take a few moments of your time and welcome you in. My name
1: is Mr. Brody Lee, and I am the exalted one of the Dark Order. And we, as a whole, understand that during these trying, unprecedented, anxious times, how you feel. I once was lost... I once was downtrodden, and I once was beaten down, but now I stand before you as the Exalted One. So I want you to now stand next to me. Yes, thank you, Mr. Lee, thank you, it's It's an honor. It's Mr. Mr. Brody. Yes, sir, Exalted One. It's Mr. Brody. Tell the people what I told you to say, we are one. It is, we are one. Please sit down. Is there something going on at home that you want to tell me about? Yes, sir. Is there a reason you're tired? Is there a reason you're exhausted? Nothing in the world is open. There is no reason for you to yawn in my presence. Do you understand what tiredness shows to people? It shows weakness. Are you weak? Right now you look weak to me. I can't have that within these doors. Do you understand? Don't you ever yawn in my presence
0: again. And then we were graced by the wonderful presence that is Chris Jericho, who not only cut a promo on a drone that the internet was talking about, but he managed to cut another promo this week, which you're going to have to see. And courtesy of AEW, here's that interview.
5: Finally... It's the moment you've all been waiting for. Chris Jericho makes his appearance on Dynamite. But you might be wondering why I'm at home in my palatial estate with a little bit of the bubbly. And the reason for that is simple. Today is a holiday. Much like Martin Luther King Day honors the great doctor and Veteran Day honors the great servicemen and women around the country, today is April Fool's Day. And I've never met a bigger group of fools in my life than the elite. I mean, think about it. Kenny Omega, the biggest pumpkin-headed dipshit I've ever met in my life. And then Nick Jackson, at home with his little head injury and, of course, his newborn baby. Congratulations, Nick. Maybe you should stay at home for the next year and a half or two years on maternity leave and hire your deadbeat brother, Matt, to mow your lawn while you're at it. And then there's Hangman Page. Haven't seen him for weeks. He's hunkered down Tipsy in Tennessee with Harry the Horse, whatever the hell his name was. And then, of course, you got the Tiger King himself, Cody Exotic, the leader of this menagerie of miscreants and morons, who then does the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life, and hires Matt Hardy. Dumbass kiss. He's 3,000 years old. Well, that's good, because you're gonna need another 3,000 years to get over the embarrassment and the beating that the inner circle gives you. Because don't forget, when this virus is done and everything goes back to normal and I allow fans back into the AEW arena, you're still gonna have to face the inner circle in Blood and Guts. You're still gonna have to face the inner circle in the most dangerous match known to man. Vanguard One, I knew you'd come. But I'm glad you did because I, I got I to be honest with you. I said some very harsh words to you last week, and I, I just really want to apologize. I really want to say that I'm very sizz. I'm very, very sizz. I just want that message to be clear. I also want to be clear to you that I want you in the inner circle. And now that, that it's just you and me, I don't want you to be nervous like last week. I want you to really think about it. We want you to wear the shirt. Just put it on, Vanguard, and become part of the inner circle. What do you say? I mean, look at this. You look good, Vanguard, huh? Are you in? Should we shake on it? Wait, wait, elbow to propeller. Huh, what do you say? Whoa, 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 wait. you come back here! You're not, you come back, Vanguard! You're not leaving again, you come back here! You get back here! Release the hounds! Get him! Get him! Get him! You're going to regret this! You're going to regret this, Vanguard! I'm going to get you! I'm going to get you! That little bastard stole
0: my t-shirt. Just simply, wow. I can't get over how week after week AEW kills it with their presentation of pre-taped promos, stuff that the WWE used to be known for when they were in their battle with WCW, how they always had almost movie-esque backstage promos and build-up packages. AEW is taking the cake with that these days. The final match on this show, Darby Allin and Cody Rhodes versus Sean Spears and Sammy Guevara. Spears does get the win here, which is the first win that I've seen him get on TV in quite some time. Uh probably back to when we were talking about that build to the match with him and Cody last June. So good to see him back in the right direction because Sean Spears has a lot of upside to him that he only seemed to have for that little run that he had in NXT back some years ago. After the match, Darby Allen turned on Cody Rhodes, but I don't think it was a heel turn. I think it was just more to say that these two might actually end up meeting in the tournament. So it's nice to have that issue between the two. Moving on to NXT tonight, an interesting one. Sam Roberts and Tom Phillips on the call for the show. I like Sam Roberts as a guy. He doesn't do anything for me on the announce desk, and it seems almost as if he tries too hard. Or on the flip side, I absolutely love Tom Phillips and everything that he does. I really feel that he should have been on Raw in the first place and I'm glad that they finally ended up getting him there over Vic Joseph a couple of months back. First off tonight, the Velveteen Dream defeated Bobby Fish via the Dream Valley driver. Dream cut to quick promo that he's getting closer to Adam Cole, which is ultimately what you'd think the goal would be. Now, would that goal have been for takeover? That wasn't actually explained. I'm sure they're going to try and work more into that. Next up is something that I am very... Very interested to talk about. Dexter Loomis. In his debut on NXT. Now there was no promos or build up to this guy actually coming in. The second he came out, I recognized him immediately. He wrestled in TNA several years ago as a character named Sam Shaw. Now I remember Loomis, well, as Sam Shaw. Where he basically portrayed Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. And the biggest thing that he did there was he stalked Christy Hemi. For the entire length of his duration there. But he's got a huge upside. Trained by Curtis Hughes and the Dudleys. At two different spots, obviously. But with the story that they're telling him is Dexter Loomis. It seems like they have big plans for this guy. Really creepy vibe that he gives off. Uh, But his music sounds strikingly similar to that of the Stranger Things theme. He comes out and his eyes are just deadpanned straightforward. He almost looks like he's possessed. And... The way that they have him wrestling and his moves are like no one I've ever seen before. We're looking to see what they end up doing with Dexter Loomis going forward. Do I think he could be a top guy? Unfortunately, no. Because in order to be a top guy anywhere, you need to be able to talk and you need to be able to have a presence. And he has a presence, but he's not one to talk. And with this character, I don't see how you could talk or even want him to talk. Which that brings you to... Do you give him a mouthpiece? And he seems like somebody that you wouldn't even be able to trust or want to trust to be aligned with. More, obviously, in the coming weeks on that. Killer cross to make his debut next week, but as Dan already stated, that we're not allowed to even talk about him unless we mention Scarlet Bordeaux. So I'm fulfilling my contractually obligated commitment there and mentioning the wonderful Scarlet Bordeaux. Dakota Kai wins and becomes the final entrant into the sixth women uh, ladder match for the number one contender for the NXT women's title. That match is going to happen next week on the NXT broadcast between Chelsea, Tegan Knox, Candice LeRae, Mia Yim, Io Shirai, and of course now Dakota Kai, who will have Raquel Gonzalez in her corner. I had filmed something on the pilot that we never actually aired for this show about her her being Raquel Gonzalez. And I feel that I hate what they're doing with her. She is, yes, the muscle for Dakota Kai, but every single match, she gets in there and helps Dakota Kai. That's not how the muscle always works. The muscle's supposed to be there when you're in trouble to help you out once in a while. But when it becomes an every week, every scenario thing, it completely takes away all credibility from Dakota Kai, who, in my opinion had a lot of upside the second they turned her heel back at WarGames last November. So we'll see how that works out and if Raquel Gonzalez comes into play at all in this 6 women number one contender match for the NXT women's title. Like I mentioned earlier, as part of Monday Night Raw, there's something that really, really bugged me with this NXT broadcast this week. So after Kushida defeats Joaquin Wilde in a match on this show... We go to a commercial break, we come back, and Joaquin Wild is getting uh, interviewed in the back of the arena when an SUV pulls up, two masked guys get up. These guys, they look like they're maybe, maybe 100 pounds, 150 pounds each, soaking wet, wearing masks, and they get out of the car like they're holding a gun to this guy's head and telling him to get in the car. Jokin Wild, the former DJ Z, puts his hands in the air and doesn't want any trouble And just walks into this car. This is really freaking weird. Two weeks in a row now. Happened last week with Roel Mendoza. And I feel like that is almost as bad as the Rhea Ripley Charlotte from Monday Night Raw. Who is taping these things? Who is letting them make air? Come on. Let there be a struggle. This guy just had a match. He's mad. In his promo, he is talking about how upset he is that he keeps losing. So, naturally, you have somebody come up and approach him, and he just goes along with it. It makes absolutely no sense. I thought that this was the worst thing on TV this past Wednesday night. Main event time for NXT, we saw Damian Priest versus Dominic Dijakovic, the former Donovan Dijak from the Indies, and Keith Lee for the North American title. Now, this match was supposed to be, obviously, on NXT TakeOver Tampa. And uh, how do I know that? Well, because the entire match, there was a giant graphic of NXT Takeover on the screen. But this match was ridiculous. These guys are all super hard-hitting individuals. Every one of them, uh, every one of them, in their own right, with some weight on them. Damian Priest, I believe, at around 250 pounds. Dijakovic at around 265, and Keith Lee over 300. Going at it for the North American title. These guys went about three segments. The only thing that was uh, kind of upsetting, if you were watching this match live and following on social media, which a lot of people do in this day and age, the match got leaked by WWE before the match was even over. As in, they put out the results before it happened. Your main event. Fascinating. I don't get how they continue to do those types of things. But Lee hit the pounce on Damian Priest and sent him flying over the top rope then hit Feast Your Eyes on Dijakovic for the win. Now the fact that Keith Lee has beat Dominic Dijakovic for the 18th time, I'm hoping that they get away from this and get somebody else for Keith Lee. Keith Lee is special, and in NXT, he's going to continue to be served well. I'm not looking forward to the day that he gets called up to the main roster because, once again, everybody has to have some form of gimmick in WWE. Keith Lee's gimmick is that he's a good talker, He's a wrestler, but he's a big guy, and he can do a lot with what he's got going for him. I'm really looking forward to seeing how they progress him, and if eventually he'll end up being somebody to take on Adam Cole for the world title in either a title-for-title title scenario, or maybe even uh, he drops that North American title and focuses mainly on the world title. On to some news from the week. John Cena appeared on the WWE podcast After the Bell, and he had some really interesting insight and words for some of these younger guys. Courtesy of WWE, here is that.
6: I learned how to play jazz from the wrestling version of Miles Davis. Like, <laughs> it, the, the coolest dudes ever. And they would go out there, like, with a 52 heart rate and just own it. And just be their character and look around and be present and entertain. And, and, and various forms of jazz improvisers. A guy like Rikishi performs different than Eddie. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy like Kurt will perform different than Booker. So I got every version of that. Right. And those guys all moved on at the same time. So to get that sort of jazz class, I'm the only cat you could go with. I was about to ask you, do you think that-, that It's gone, day, it, dude, it's done. Yeah, you it's think done. it's not coming back? There's no way to bring it back just because- There, of- there is, uh, here's a message to all the talent out there. Be brave enough to fail. Go out there with an open mind and open ears and entertain your audience. And I think that's a way to bring that sort of performance back. But it's here's the the drawback. It's not going to be as surgical. It's not going to be as precise. It's not going to be as intricate. And the audience has shown that they enjoy that stuff. So once again, I'm speaking as a dinosaur, but I do have perception of the current landscape. The social media keeps us in a short attention span. We want the best. We want it now. We don't want anything to be off one step. Like we want it to look perfect. So I understand that the demand for that product is out there, but you know, if you have the other skill in your back pocket, it wouldn't hurt. And they're like Roman, I I believe is, is completely capable of doing something like that. Seth Rollins, I believe is completely capable of doing something like that. And I've wrestled with a lot of the guys today by that method. So I know they can do it. Right. I just don't know if they can do it. You know, and do it on a, on a, like, I'm not talking about like a, a, a live event only on a Saturday night. I'm talking about Monday Night Raw, pay-per-view, like, it doesn't matter.
0: I'm not one for being supportive of something that's going to be completely curated to the way that they want the narrative to be, like a WWE podcast, but the entire 40-minute, 40 45-minute uh, podcast is available. Uh, I would suggest checking that out. Because John Cena does not hold back any punches, and he's not afraid of what's going to happen to him. So you can get a guy like him to give some interviews. It's tremendous. He goes in to talk about even how he didn't think he'd be doing movies after how some of those movies in the uh, late 2000s were tanking for him. But now here he is putting out some uh, quality stuff, even now joining the Fast and Furious uh, franchise, which some people might hate, but hey, it's a cash cow. So, you know, you... Might not have to like it, but money talks in the end of things. So despite the fact that it is now Friday as I'm recording this, WWE has yet to actually announce that Roman Reigns has been pulled from the main event match for the SmackDown world title against Goldberg at WrestleMania this weekend. Triple H went on to say in an interview with Aria Hawani, well, it's a funny thing. I think you can watch our business in multiple different ways, and one of them is the storyline aspect of it. And follow the storyline. Another way is the online component of it and the reality of it behind it. Roman has his situation and his reasons for doing the things that he's doing. But I will say from our standpoint and the storyline standpoint, it's going to play out in a unique matter and we want it to play out that way. It's not necessarily putting me in an awkward position. It's just, for me, saying I don't want to give away the ending of the movie before the movie takes place. So I think everybody just has to watch and see how this unfolds but it will unfold in a unique way, and I think it will be meaningful for everybody. Well, spoiler for those people who don't know, Braun Strowman takes the place of Roman Reigns at WrestleMania this weekend. In a very smart yet unique aspect, WWE has filmed endings in different scenarios for every single match. This way, it doesn't leak out. Not that it really could leak out, but apparently they're going to make the decision on what ending makes the cut, which is crazy to think for WrestleMania, when it airs uh, this coming weekend. We also have updates on the, some of the people that have been pulled from WrestleMania 36 and the backstory behind it. This includes Roman Reigns, The Miz, Rey Mysterio, Murphy, and Dana Brooke. Here's some of the updates with that. Roman Reigns showed up to the TV tapings to film his contract signing with Goldberg. It was set to air on this week's SmackDown broadcast. It was then learned that The Miz was sick. The Usos and Roman Reigns, obviously cousins, and very close with each other privately discussed this matter. And there's conflicting reports on whether or not the Usos convinced him to pull out of the show or whether Reigns just did it on his own. Uh, We know that the Usos weren't happy, though. Reigns went to WWE officials and told them he wasn't comfortable performing due to his lymphoma having compromised his immune system. That's when WWE obliged and called off the match. As far as The Miz is concerned, WWE officials immediately pulled him from the show once they learned he was sick. He was sent home from the building. As of this writing, the nature of the illness is unknown. As for Dana Brooke, she showed up to work about a week or so ago and she was sick so WWE told her to go home and self-quarantine herself. Rey Mysterio was not backstage at the TV tapings because he was already feeling sick and WWE had told anyone who was feeling sick to not show up. Andrade, as we spoke earlier in the show, is dealing with a rib injury and it's not related to the coronavirus. And it should be noted that Brock Lesnar has not been removed from WrestleMania despite his diverticulitis issues. Several doctors claim diverticulitis isn't a risk factor for COVID-19. That all courtesy of the Wrestling Observer and one Mr. Dave Meltzer. In one final piece of news that I want to discuss this week It came out on Thursday that AEW was filming more content to try and get them through, I believe, May 9th with TV tapings as they were still continuing to film in Georgia at QT Marshall's gym in Norcross. Allegedly, there were reports that came out that maybe, perhaps... The WWE or somebody was trying to sabotage these tapings. AEW officials were able to produce the proper paperwork that showed that they were following the proper codes and permits that they had filed for. Once that was done, the tapings were allowed to continue, but there were still some state officials, apparently, that stayed beside to ensure that the protocols were being followed. The tapings are being done for Dynamite content through the middle of May. The state of Georgia will be enforcing their stay-at-home order on Friday, so AEW is trying to get as much taping done on Thursday... Because come Friday, they weren't going to be able to get any more done. So as long as they had the proper permits for the building, which they did, they were able to continue on with that. One reached out to Tony Khan, explained that the official who stopped by was a local Georgia code enforcement official. They were there to ensure that everything was agreed to in the permits the AEW had obtained. Khan stated that it was just a routine check-in like any other week. And everything else was fine on both sides. So let's quick run down the WrestleMania 36 card this weekend. The goal is to get this podcast out to you today, now, Saturday morning, to get you up to date on where we're at going into this weekend's double day WrestleMania that's going to be taking place starting tonight at 7 p.m. and as well as tomorrow, Sunday at 7 p.m. The matches on the card are Aleister Black versus Bobby Lashley in a match that I think you're going to see Aleister Black get a big win here. Otis versus Dolph Ziggler. I think the fans would love to see Otis get the win, but I think this is one where Dolph Ziggler is going to get the one up. We haven't really seen Otis in many singles matches, let alone a pay per view singles match. Uh, You can really tell that he's the standout star of that heavy machinery team. King Corbin versus Elias, who somehow is still going to be wrestling in this match. He says that there's nothing that can keep him from competing at WrestleMania this weekend. I think. King Corbin's going to get the win there. Raw Women Tag Team Championships is still going on as of now, despite uh, what has come out. The Kabuki Warriors, Asuka and Kari Sane, defend the titles against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. I think it's time to get the belts onto Alexa and Nikki Cross and run with them for a little bit. Raw Tag Team Championships, the Street Profits versus Angel Garza and Austin Theory. I already said earlier in this podcast that I believe that the Street Profits are going to get the win here. SmackDown Tag Team Championships are in a ladder match. John Morrison and The Miz defend against The Usos and The New Day. Again, something else that has not been explained due to the fact that we know that The Miz was not there for these tapings. If this match were to go on as planned, I would assume coming out of this, you might see The Usos get the win. And this way, you can maybe take a different direction with John Morrison, who has a lot of upside. But, you know, he's getting older. You want to do something special with that guy because he is a talent. Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, in a match that I think is going to steal this weekend, and I've said this countless times, I believe that this match ends with Kevin Owens getting the win, and with all the things going on currently with Seth Rollins, AOP members being out, and Buddy Murphy being uh, currently sidelined with some illness uh, concerns, that it's a good time for Seth to now come back and maybe even get a new group of followers here. Intercontinental title match, Sami Zayn versus Daniel Bryan. I do believe that this match sees Daniel Bryan getting the win going forward. Uh, The only way that I don't see this match ending with Daniel Bryan becoming the champion is somehow Drew Gulak uh, does the big turn on him, but I still think that this is kind of early for that to actually happen. So we'll see how that plays out this weekend. SmackDown Women's Championship in a Fatal 5 way. Bailey, the champion defending against Sasha, Naomi, Lacey Evans, and Tamina. I see this ending with a new champion. I'd like to think that maybe Sasha would get it, but that to me doesn't make sense. I think that you really need to kind of save that for down the line. So I'll say, sure, let's let Lacey Evans get the win here. In a Firefly Funhouse match, you're going to see John Cena against The Fiend bray wyatt i have a bad feeling for john cena that this match is going to go into the category of a lot of his other losses in recent wrestlemanias including in two minutes to the undertaker uh back at 34 in new orleans in a boneyard match undertaker versus aj styles the undertaker i do believe is going to come out on top of this match as discussed over the last two weeks of this podcast Last man standing, Edge versus Randy Orton. I do feel that Edge is going to eventually get the win back, but I think this match is going to go to Randy Orton, and we're going to continue this storyline going forward. In a match that I don't think anybody really has an idea of where it's going to go is Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair. You could have the Rhea Ripley character getting made by beating Charlotte Flair and retaining her title, or you can have Charlotte win the title and come to NXT and run around NXT again with the title, and then maybe Rhea gets her win back. I think that that's your scenario here. I think Charlotte wins, and Rhea comes back and gets her win, and then she will continue going forward with that title. Raw women's title, Becky Lynch versus Shayna Baszler. As discussed last week, uh, Shayna Baszler is going to have to win this match in defying, dominant fashion fashion. And then you build Becky Lynch back up over the next six months to a year to come back and get her title back. She needs to be broken down more than she was about this Oscar feud a couple months back at this year's Royal Rumble. As I stated earlier, you're going to get Goldberg versus Braun Strowman in a universal title match. I think it only makes sense at this point that Braun Strowman's going to win the match and become the champion. I think it's a great time to turn Braun Strowman heel even uh, after winning the title because him being a babyface giant champion doesn't really work too well for me. It'll be better if you have a babyface that's a smaller guy to slay the dragon. Tells an easier and better story. Finally, Brock Lesnar versus Drew McIntyre in a match that, from the get-go, you assume that Drew McIntyre is going to come out as the champion. I still think that he's going to come out as champion, but I do feel bad for him that it is in the situation that he's in where there's not going to be anybody there to celebrate this win with him and finally moving on to friday night smackdown right before smackdown went on the air wwe.com posted a very interesting uh, interview with john cena uh, then quickly removed it with a different take but here's the original Some interesting comments that they had from john cena uh,
6: i know the fiend operates off of fear but i also know that the fiend is bray wyatt is husky harris is a guy in a mask i'm not afraid of the fiend and i'm not afraid to say that i'm not afraid of the fiend The Fiend's been able to manipulate his way through the WWE Universe and establish a presence by getting people to panic. And panic equals fear, and fear equals our collapse. Uh, I think if there's one guy that can face The Fiend, who has faced The Fiend, and Bray Wyatt, and stood up to all of his tactics and psychological manipulation, it's been me. WrestleMania is going to be no different. It's like I told the audience, you know, I've been in a lot of situations in WrestleMania where they anticipate a big back and forth brawl that is gonna weave a tale that is epic in the annals of WWE history. Bray's, Bray's gonna get his ass handed to him. I'm, uh, I'm in no mood to play around and I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm kind of fed up with situations of people who think they are entitled to get chance after chance after chance to succeed. I'm sick of hearing a certain group of WWE superstars walk around and say, I deserve this, or I deserve that. And maybe Bray's the first name on that list. I don't know. Like I said, I was gonna sit back and let the future play its course, and the right person issued the right challenge at the right time. And I don't feel bad about saying what's gonna happen because I firmly believe it's got to be this way. I trust in my own ability. Um, I've been on the WrestleMania stage before. I know this is a bit of a, a different WrestleMania, but if there's anyone prepared for a challenge like this, it's certainly
0: me. And interesting comments from John Cena as he goes into the match this weekend with The Fiend, Bray Wyatt. On uh, SmackDown, there wasn't really much on the go-home episode of SmackDown, which is crazy, to my opinion, because it was the very last show of the very last build before this WrestleMania, with all the pre-tapes that they've done, and nothing really happened. There was a pull-apart between The Miz, John Morrison, and uh, getting the upper hand on The Usos and The New Day, which leads into their match. You had a brawl at the end of a match between Lacey, Naomi, Tamina, with Sasha and uh, Bailey getting involved with that, and Tamina ended up with the upper hand in that one. We get the best match of the entire night, which is a replay of the WrestleMania 24 match between Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair and Flair's retirement match, a match that I actually watched the whole thing through for the first time in several years, and my God, does that match still hold up. It's a fun match uh, with everybody getting their uh, stuff in. Tucker versus Ziggler, where Ziggler takes out Tucker. We finally get some answers from the Mandy Rose, Dolph Ziggler, Otis scenario, how we even got here in the first place. Uh, Weird... Freaky, mysterious video with somebody that resembled Seth Rollins when he did the reverse spin in the minivan with the turn back in uh, October. Spins around in a chair with a bunch of computers in the background and basically has a video that keeps flashing that says the truth will be heard. And he hits a button and you get some videos that pretty much go back to Valentine's Day on the date with Mandy and Otis, which turned the reason why Otis was late you pan out with another video of Sonia Deville talking, and she's talking to Dolph Ziggler. So that at least sets this up right now. Mandy is in uh, shock. She doesn't want to talk to her friend, and now we have a match with Otis and Ziggler, which now that I've gotten this weird aspect added to it, I think this match is going to be even worse than originally planned. Two things left on the card for SmackDown Daniel Bryan versus Shinsuke Nakamura, and yet another match of somebody leading up to Daniel Bryan's Intercontinental Total match this weekend at WrestleMania versus Sami Zayn. Uh, and it just ended up in another beatdown of Daniel Bryan as well as Drew Gulak. And finally, we get John Cena in the ring, cutting a promo, stating that this is the last promo on the last show, on the go home show to WrestleMania. You have all the, Firefly, all the Firefly Funhouse characters around Ringside who then say that he's here. The lights go out, and in the top podium, you see the Fiend appear. And then you get a flash cut view to Bray Wyatt as Bray Wyatt behind John Cena. Which, for the mystique that they've tried to put behind this character, makes sense. Obviously, you can work with these types of things with the empty arena aspect of things because nobody's there. So you can do all the jump cuts. It's the same thing that they did the other week with Matt Hardy and Chris Jericho shooting all the different spots around the arena where Matt Hardy was jumping for the magic. You couldn't do that with a crowd, so screw it. You have the opportunity to do it here uh, with the empty arena. It was a fun little thing that they did to end SmackDown going into WrestleMania. My match of the week that I suggest that everybody watches, go onto YouTube. It was just recently posted from Ring of Honor in 2010. It is Kevin Steen versus Tyler Black for the Ring of Honor World Championship in 2010. I will post a link to that video on the Powerbombs and Potables Twitter page, at Powerbombs PPN. And we will talk to you, myself and Dan, with a live WrestleMania weekend recap for your Monday morning this coming week. Thank you for listening to Power Bombs and Potables and we'll talk to you Monday morning.